My guest in this Christmas and New Year's edition of Drill to Detail is none other than Christian Berg, one of the most experienced Siebel Analytics, S-Base and more recently Oracle BI experts in Europe and a regular speaker at user group events in the UK, the US and Europe. So I've known Christian for about as long as I've worked in Oracle BI Consulting and spent many an enjoyable evening shooting the breeze on topics around consulting, implementing and getting the best out of Oracle and other vendors' BI products. So Christian, welcome to the show and why don't you introduce yourself properly to the listeners and uh, say hello. Well, hello, Mark. First of all, thanks for having me, especially on this Christmas episode. So, yeah, as you said, uh, my name is Christian Berg. I'm doing analytics since quite a while now, especially in the Oracle BI space space. Uh, I've started doing it in uh, the fabulous year 2000, uh, still doing it today, focusing mainly on those products, but obviously uh, have branched out into other areas more in the open source space and not uh, necessarily other big vendors. I had a small uh, consulting company in Switzerland, which is where I'm based and uh, where I do all my work from. That's okay. right so, so Christian, so you, I mean, looking back at your, looking back at your kind of history and career in this industry, I think you first surfaced um, doing S-Base work at a bank who I can't name, but is, uh, if I described it as a, a German bank that is run like a British bank, um, then, you know, I think that says the good things and the bad things about it, really. Um, and, um, but you worked there for a while with S-Base. And what was your role there, really, um, on that kind of work there? And, and what was S-Base being used for on that kind of, uh, on that kind of project? Yes, so uh, <clears throat> in, in that project, this is basically where we ran into each other first uh, professionally in terms of working together. S-Base was used for the day trading business, basically for the bookkeeping. And uh, it was obviously like any other S-Base Oracle Analytics project at that time, and even, well, 99% nowadays, a project based on S-Base cubes that existed already before uh, they started thinking about, let's do some analytics on, on top of that. And they basically were uh, interested in uh, visualizing what's in the cubes, giving their uh, users the ability to navigate the cubes a bit more easily and more nicely than just through uh, Smart View in Excel. And yeah, as I said, this is basically uh, a trend that has come back uh, many times in different projects where people start thinking, well, we have these cubes. Why not use them together with our other data? Why not mesh them up? Why not give them to more than just our financial analysts in terms of experts? So, so I ran into you there at the bank on that project, and, and it was back in 2000. Uh, and so that was around the sort of time that, um, that I suppose Siebel Analytics was, was, was coming to the fore with the work I was doing. And, and um, uh, I suppose there was talk about bringing it into, into OBI as well. So what was your background there really with Siebel Analytics? That was your original, I suppose, kind of enterprise BI tool you're working with really, wasn't it? Yes, yes. <clears throat> so just background, background-wise, um, I started out doing uh, studies in business administration on process and project management. Uh, kind of realized towards the end that uh, pure management is pretty boring, so... Uh, yeah, I tried to, to add some spice to it and uh, basically started working with a uh, Swiss-based company on their data warehousing projects as my, as my thesis uh, with them. So, and through that, I got more into the data warehousing side from there and drifted into the CRM side because obviously 
you can remember end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, CRM was the thing. Everybody talked about everybody was doing. And so I ended up in a big Siebel implementation uh, on the CRM side. Siebel at that time was just buying Enquire. So I literally arrived in that area when Enquire came into the fold of the bigger uh, Siebel oh, really? ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. The actual, the actual first uh, uh, implementation of their Siebel quotes analytics was still using uh, Informatica and uh, business objects back at the time. So they OEM'd uh, two different products. They, they kept Informatica around, but then obviously replaced the business objects part with uh, Enquire. And then over the next uh, two or three years, Siebel realized, hey, this is a pretty neat platform. Let's make it a platform product uh, in our lineup. And that's where this whole idea also started. Well, we have defined data models because at that time they had already uh, you know, PeopleSoft as well. Uh, why not bring this in? We know the base models in the ERP. Why not make uh, analytical models out of it and my star schemas? And that's where, where they started with Siebel Analytics applications, which is the thing we love uh, very dearly still today. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, and then they got bought by Oracle. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I met you <clears throat> again. It was over in Zurich, um, a few quite well, well, quite a few years ago now. And you were <laughs> definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, you were definitely one of the uh, one of the kind of Siebel people. You know, your 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 I suppose the con the contracting and consulting world in the Siebel world was interesting because it probably wasn't as um, I suppose open an ecosystem as say the Oracle world was, but it was very I would say lucrative. I don't know one way of putting it, but certainly it was a nice niche to be in. And then, uh, or is that or yeah. is that not the case? Well, it's it, it, well. You mentioned two things there. Uh, yeah. One is openness, and second is lucrative. And um, just just to talk a bit about about the first one, because I, I think a lot of people have have uh, a huge misconception about this in their head as well. So Siebel Siebel was really the opposite of Oracle in terms of communication, community, etc. I mean, it was closed, 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 closed. Even just to get, you know, uh, basic documentation and uh, and whatnot was a pain, really. So they were completely secretive about everything, uh, didn't share. <clears throat> so as a result, there was hardly any community. People were trying to build them, but it was hard because nobody really got any new information. You were presented with a new product and basically that's it. So for that... Um, Oracle actually really is a lot better. I mean, it already was when they bought Siebel, but nowadays with all their different activities in the community space uh, and their open source activities, definitely, definitely, definitely uh, a leap ahead. In terms of lucrative, uh, it never really was about, you know, where can I cash in the most? Um, for me, right when I started uh, being exposed to Enquire, their, their metadata engine and their common enterprise information model with the RPD was something that just worked for me. It, it just it just made sense. Looking at the other tools at the time, yes, business objects has their universes and whatnot, um, or had at that time, but it just wasn't the same thing. So this common this common transformation layer and, and really getting the information together, I, I think that was so far ahead of its time 
that it was just completely misunderstood back then. And that's the reason why some people think nowadays, I mean, we're in 2017 for crying out loud, uh, that they think, well, <clears throat> this is old technology. It's around since almost 20 years, so it must be you know, outdated and not fit to our requirements. But I think, well, if you look at it, it actually does a lot more than you even require. So the power of the thing and the flexibility of the thing uh, was just always something that, yeah, spoke to me. So yeah, I mean that 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 I suppose in a way um, the way technology has moved on, um, and and what we're using today in some respects is 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 kind of more powerful, but in other respects. Uh, there were quite a few kind of old things that have been almost forgotten, really. And, and uh, you know, the BI server is one of those things there. Um, and we'll get on to that. I and mean, that's quite an interesting sort of topic area, really, as well. And so, Christian, you're, you're now working um, mainly with OBIE, which is obviously how most people know you now. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're, so you have your own, um, I suppose, you're a contractor, aren't you? So you're a consultant, but you work for yourself in this kind of market. And I suppose one of the first things I wanted to explore with you really is, is you know, I've described you in the past as one of the kind of survivors. You know, you've been doing this, you've been working as a contractor in the, in the analytics market for about 15 years or so now. Um, you've, you've, been, you've survived things like you know, the transition from, uh, from uh, Siebel to, to Oracle. You've survived um, the, in quotes, interesting kind of uh, integration of S-Base into OBIE. You know, you've survived things like the Indian outsourcing um, sort of phenomena. You know, you're still here as well. Um, so I think that's really, I, I want to go through, you know, your perspective on that a little bit, really. But first question I'd ask you, really, and it is, why have, you, why have you always been a contractor as opposed to, you know, joining a big consultancy where you have more impact or even formed one yourself? Okay. <clears throat> well, you just said something very interesting. The, the question in itself is interesting per se, but you said, why haven't you joined another company and having more impact? This is actually one of the reasons why I didn't, because I don't think that you necessarily have the ability to have more impact when you're part of a big organization. Uh, and, and as to why this isn't, uh, these are the other reasons why I never joined up. So A, uh, I never found <clears throat> a company so far that, uh, that was interesting to me in terms of culture and ethics. So. Some are pretty cool, some are pretty, you know, hip and trendy, but um, well, it, it, has to, it just has to work. And the other thing is, as time progresses, many companies become just another consultancy, going the normal road of, well, we have to look at the baseline of the company, we have to uh, make profits, so what we'll do is we're basically going to reduce our quality of resources, get more young ones, get more cheap ones, uh, just place them at the client, and then they can learn at the client, and that's cool, and, which is just something that doesn't work for me. So if you arrive at a client and you don't know what you're talking about and you, be, and you more or less have to spend two months at the client just learning the product, well, you can do it with any of the big fives. Uh, you will get the same from everybody. Well, sure. That doesn't interest me in the slightest. I'm actually interested in, in getting things done for the client, in getting benefit for the client, getting the right solution. And so for me, this also means, which is, which is in terms of management, obviously something that you shouldn't do, but sometimes just walking up to the client and saying, listen, you're completely on the wrong track here. You should do this, even in, in less flattering terms. 
um, and say, well, if you decide to do it like this, this is your problem, but uh, I won't put my signature under this. I suppose you've always got much more control over the quality of the end product, haven't you? And you've always got a much more, you've always got a much more direct relationship with the customer. Um, which is which is good. Yeah. I remember speaking yeah. to yeah. I remember speaking to Adrian Ward on here a, few, a year ago or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 some point he always made at the time was that the other thing about being a contractor going in somewhere is that you're in there for longer than five minutes. You're in there. You know the, the advice you give has to kind of like I suppose in a way work over the long term. And you're there to actually see the consequences of it. And you're and you're there to actually adapt. Your advice and and you know your advice after that based on actually the reality of the, of the situation there. Uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes sometimes this is the case, but uh, um, I'm, I don't do uh, exclusively long term contracts. I, I do short term assignments as well, so it it can be the case, but um, I th- I think it's it's more about. Um, yeah, as you said, getting getting the right result and not saying, listen, here's a here's a list of requirements. Sit down, do it. Uh, cheers, thanks, bye, and then you're gone. So this this whole uh, resource uh, switching uh, just just won't work. Yeah, especially yeah. especially in the analytics space. Especially in the analytics space, it's not like you it's not like you're writing an application. Button A does this. Button B does this. And you can write a script that does all uh, every time it does the same thing, you know, expected result, followed process, done. So do you think do you think that analytics projects are a special case then when it comes to development? Is is that why perhaps they have survived the, the great movement towards outsourcing over the last few years? Oh, I mean yes, do you think definitely. That, yeah, tell me how then. Oh yeah. I mean the the normal well let's say outsourcing uh, project just does what I said before. You know, you have some people sitting there at the client being the only, quote, local, unquote, resources uh, in the whole project. They're doing nothing but talking to people, writing uh, work documents, producing paper, basically. And then they'll say, all right, uh, thanks so much. We'll hand this over to our outsourcing development team now. Uh, They hand it to a huge team somewhere. They have no idea of the client, they have no idea of the business, they have no idea of the requirements, they just get some paper. Uh, most of the time they don't even have any idea about the technology, and they'll just say, oh yeah, yeah, this week I'm doing X, next week I'm doing Y, and then they start producing stuff, and then stuff comes back to the client, and the client says, well, this is not what we wanted. Integrator says, well, you should have specified it more precisely, it goes back, etc., etc. So, so this whole cycle of of you know correcting misinterpretation, misunderstanding, and it's already hard to do in a normal application world where you can very clearly define things. You know, as in saying, as I said before, this button does X, this button does Y, and then in the end, I have to have I don't know a new purchase order. So in the analytics space, everything changes all the time. Data flowing in changes your reality. Uh, your your models can change. New things can come in. All things fall fall away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the the added problem there is you actually have to understand what are they trying to achieve, and trying to achieve not as in this has to be blue, this has to be yellow, but what's the business goal that needs to be achieved? And this is very and this is very hard. I mean. 
to, to put it in perspective, uh, I was at a client once where they decided to go with an outsourcing partner. Um, literally, they had set aside an additional budget of 50% the initial budget just for bug fixing because they said, well, we know this from other projects that we've done uh, with this kind of partners and this is just how it works, period. I mean, I was flabbergasted. This is... To me, this is incredible project management. <laughs> this is just uh, this is just rubbish. And the other thing, yes, yeah, the other thing, the other thing that I wanted to mention is, if you talk about analytics, you talk about not just knowing, for example, Java and being able to program Java, or knowing how to do Oracle Analytics, or knowing how to do Excel in the worst case. Uh, it's about actually comprehending what you do with the data and uh, comprehending what works with the tools, how, and choosing the best solution. I mean, as you, as you know yourself quite well, you can't just say, I have this tool, I solve every single requirement I have with that tool. And especially when you look at the Oracle, uh, let's say, ecosystem, this is, this is true like times 10 uh, to the power of 20. Because you got, uh, imagine you, you, you just buy the normal Oracle Analytics product suite, huh? Minimum, you have Oracle BI, BI Publisher, you got S-Base, and hence, you also got Smart View, you got Data Visualization. So there's already five different tools to do something with your data. So which tool do you use for what? And this is the this is the thing about comprehension. Uh, uh, if you look at the, for example, uh, Oracle Developer Community forums, you'll see tons of questions that are, I need to do, uh, I, or, or I have requirement X, I need to fulfill it with uh, Oracle BI. How do I do it? The first, let's say, five answers are you're using the wrong tool, and they're just being obnoxious and saying, no, this is the requirement. The client told me to do this and that. Uh, how do I make it work? This is just completely wrong. You can't. You can't. Yes. Yeah. You you can't. You can't. Uh, you can't. You can't just go ahead like this. Yeah. You always have to say, well, again, what's the requirement? What are they trying to achieve? And the client can never tell you how to achieve this if he's not a master of the technology, because otherwise, why did he hire you? What's the point? Otherwise, he could do it himself. It's up to you as the contractor, as the actual developer stuff to say, okay, listen, if this is what you're trying to achieve, the more optimal road is to use another tool or is to go down another path. As, as we said, I mean, do you remember that famous slide that you made of me uh, back in, in, um, in Israel? One of many, probably, yes. Yeah, the, yes. About exporting I mean, to I mean, Excel. Exactly, the one about exporting to Excel. So, so as a context for the listeners, uh, Mark and me were at a conference in Israel, and uh, I was talking about basically feeding the Excel monster from Oracle Analytics. And Mark made a nice slide uh, uh, where I was presenting, and behind me it just said, export to Excel, and I will kill you. The background to that was people are using the whole analytics platform as a basically pass-through to just push millions and millions of rows through CSV or, or Excel files to the desktop of people 
where I'm saying, yeah, it can be a requirement to have this information, but why do you have to go through the whole metadata layer to the presentation server to a browser? So, I mean, network traffic and whatnot, humongous. Instead of saying, well, yes, it's a requirement. We can do this at a very low level and just feed the Excel monster directly from the data sources, whatever that data source is. Every data source on the world can do this nowadays, just dump out data. So again, taking a step back from requirements and thinking about what are we trying to achieve and how do we do this? And this is something that for me sometimes is, well, I'm taking more or less work away from myself because I'm saying you don't have to do this in an analytical platform. You can do it with other things far more easily, far more efficiently. And this comes back to my initial point about why didn't I join certain companies because you know, you always work for somebody, and that somebody at some point will say, listen, uh, you got to stop doing this. you got to just start doing what the client tells you to do, literally, with the tool that we are there for, basically, to, to maintain. Closing loop. Yes, yes. I mean, so, so I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of unpacking in, in those statements there, but I mean, it's, so, you, I suppose the, the economy of this really is, is, you know, you can be very true to yourself if you're a contractor, you can be very, uh, and that's not a derogatory sort of way of putting it, you, you can't, you, you have, you have your kind of core mission, your core ethics, and you have your core thing you believe in, and as a contractor, you can deliver on that day in, day out. But I guess the other side of it is, it's a tough business to be in if you're also having to be selling at the time, selling yourself and so on. And, and you know, I suppose as trends in the market recently have happened with things like cloud, um, things like outsourcing, you know, it, 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 what's, what's the contractor business like these days? And, and in a way, is there still a market for technical consulting? Or, or, you know, first of all, what's the contractor business like now? Is it still as, as I wouldn't say lucrative, but is it, is it possible to, to exist in that as well or, or what now? Uh, it's changing. Definitely, it's changing. It's getting, it's getting harder. Um, and for well, for for several reasons, you know, with the whole change to to cloud and uh, uh, some clients, really some, uh, getting more interested in also using uh, open source tools and whatnot. You have you have these two let's say, lanes. So one is, uh, let's start with open source. If, if, you, if you say your clients are getting more interested in using open source tools, and obviously you have a huge opening uh, for, for contractors. On the other hand, cloud, um, in the first step, I would say, is more something where people or, uh, let's say, end clients think, yeah, this will get rid of our consultants, this will get rid of, of, of these contractors. Yes and no of the classical ones, of the old school ones, uh, of the ones doing pure development, uh, like hacking code, uh, moving data from A to B using, I don't know, a data integrator or talent uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. But it does open the door for, for a completely new approach, for this whole approach of saying, well, finally... Uh, and, and just remind me afterwards, it's, it's, about, it's about corporate culture and, and change management as well. So getting away from that mindset of saying, right, we have a tool, we want to have some output, but we as a client, we want our logo everywhere, the whole GUI customized. We want uh, new buttons that do stuff. So, so customization, basically, that has nothing to do with the purpose of the tool. Basically, 
buying a car and saying, actually, I want I want uh, vases as wheels. I want a palm tree to grow out of the roof, and I want the engine to re- to be replaced by uh, a clown f- a clown car. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is nice. You're the client. You're paying for this. I know you insist on this very very heavily and this is actually the cool thing about a lot of the cloud tools out there they just don't allow you to do that <laughs> they're saying this is the functionality this is what you get this is how you use it period yeah so so have you found though that with this i suppose changes in the market where people are more used to self-service tools now and there is perhaps a greater level of awareness of analytics and I suppose, kind of data discovery and tools like Tableau and so on. Have you found that actually customers have been able to do this themselves now and there is less of a need for an experienced um, analytics contractor? Uh, Again, it it heavily depends on the customer. Uh, What I've seen, seen, let's say these last last 24 months, is customers who have, again, almost everything. They have Oracle Analytics somewhere. They have another department using uh, the Hyperion EPM products. They have another department using Tableau. They have another one using SaaS. They have another one uh, start doing things with R. And it's uh, it's a very heterogeneous environment. And people start less and less to talk to each other and building their own solutions. No, ours is better. Ours is better. So, uh, again, it comes down to all these tools have their... uh, have a reason for being. But what about general awareness of, of I mean, so so maybe it's my maybe it's maybe it's a kind of like a misconception on my part. But people seem to be more able themselves these days to do analytics. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a misconception. Uh, there are there are people becoming more and more apt at doing things. Definitely. Uh, the the problem is, and and this is where I rejoin the point that I wanted to make before about uh, corporate culture and change management the problem is structures as a whole need to change there is a huge 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 advantage nowadays if you're in a company that is very data driven and very analytics driven and in in many cases also unfortunately it has to be said younger so younger companies by default are a lot more open to this if you're in huge established corporations, and uh, I work mainly in the finance industry, so as you can imagine, these are very big, very established uh, structures. So it can be hard. There can be there can be these um, these nests of real, let's say, data analytics and affinity in the corporation, which are really good, which are really driving things forward, but which are hampered by the general and, and more global structure and environment of the corporation. So, yes, there's definitely, let's say, an awakening uh, of, of things uh, uh, happening in companies. But again, hampered by silo organizations, hampered by, and this is the other thing, everybody talks about data lakes and whatnot and, you know, free access to, to free the data, yeah, Reality, unfortunately, is quite different because normally the people, the people hoarding the data and the people actually doing things with the data are completely separate and the ones are the clients of the others, but the first don't really have to the resources or the time to. So basically analytics and all these 
newfangled things uh, where you say, well, yeah, data discovery, let's do it, are being hampered by actual access to the and and culture as well. I mean, I, I was I, we, we were both in the uh, the keynote at the recent Oracle User Group conference in Birmingham, and it was <clears throat> a guy from Oracle was talking about um, some really exciting, interesting new technologies and products that were coming along from Oracle around things like using machine learning um, to uh, to help in line of business applications. And the talk was about becoming a data-driven um, organization. And I did a talk directly afterwards to talk about what I've been doing recently. And, and, you know, it was ostensibly the same topic matter. But what struck me at the end of it was how, you know, you can put all the new technology you want to into a company, but if the culture isn't there to actually use numbers and use analytics and data to drive that business, layering all this technology on is not going to make a difference really. And it's all about culture. It's all about culture. It's not necessarily about age or whatever, but, but I mean, obviously I think there is a, there is a, there is a correlation there, but it's about yeah. culture. It is, it is, it is about culture. And then, and as I said, it's just that the existing established corporations normally have a bigger let's say hurdle to cross there so but yes the, the cultural the cultural impact and, and and that's what i meant with um also clients that i walk into nowadays have not just one or two tools they have 15 tools because every department has what fits their boss's culture and their little cultural stuff. so it is it is a, an issue when your corporation doesn't have an overlying uh, exposure and strategy for for data and analytics. So if the corporate uh, cor company as a whole isn't geared towards this, it's very hard to change things uh, uh, on a well more than more than small scale. So. Um, so something that was interesting in the conversation I had with with, uh, with Carsten Banger last week was I asked him, he was the guy who was behind the BI survey, and I asked him a question which was, <clears throat> are you finding, so most of these most of these kind of BI um, you know, market analyses you see coming out, they look at actually what is being sold net new, and they, and they, they basically derive trends from that. But I asked him, uh, how, within, within organizations that have bought these enterprise BI tools like Cognos or Oracle or whatever, and there's been a lot of time taken to build out these semantic models and semantic layers, they were meant to address this kind of issue where um, there were lots of different kind of silos of data and there were lots of, <clears throat> there were lots of I suppose, little individual initiatives and numbers never, never added up. But what was interesting when, when I spoke to him was he said that still most new projects involve a new BI tool, not necessarily reuse of what they've got. You know, is that what you see or, or do you see these investments being paid off now um, within, in semantic layers and enterprise BI tools? Uh, sometimes, sometimes, yeah. It uh, it really depends uh, on the on the comprehension of of the topic uh, in inside of the corporation. I've seen it uh, I've seen it in many places. Unfortunately, go horribly wrong, where uh, corporations moved from tool A to tool B. Uh, uh, let's say from a more uh, reporting tool to a more uh, to towards analytics tool, and it just reproduced what they had in the new technology without using any of the semantic features without really using the metadata layer etc etc so basically just oh yeah we're doing new things and the fact that we have a new technology will solve all our issues and that's and that's just the thing no it doesn't you can move you can move from i don't know sap to to oracle you can move from microsoft to tableau you can move from 
from from from Excel to one of the uh, uh, let's say open source uh, R distributions out there, it doesn't solve your issue. You have to actually change the way you work with data and change the way you think about data, change the way you handle it. So uh, again, very bad example uh, is um, uh, that I ran into recently is a company using SaaS and just well. SaaS as their more or less uh, self-service data discovery tool with the problem the problem being the actual concepts behind not being understood and literally people transferring terabytes and terabytes of data using dozens of cores and hundreds of gigabytes of RAM to do the most basic things uh, instead of first thinking about what do we try to do here let's trim down the data to the bare minimum then we have our output and then we correlate to it with the rest of our data so you know procedural thinking about data as well and then obviously well overhead and uh, license costs uh, just skyrocket because you're just using it wrong for things that you could do with a pure let's say oracle database with r integrate just run it on the database uh, push the output to whatever front-end tool you want to have and then do stuff there. Well, in terms of licensing and uh, the money involved, it's a lot better usage. But uh, just coming back to, to your other question, uh, because you mentioned all, all the big data ecosystem and so on, and uh, a friend of mine reminded me yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, about a quote from um, a guy called uh, Dan O'Reilly. Um, and... He, uh, he basically said, big data is like teenage sex. Everybody talks about it. Nobody really knows how to do it. Everybody thinks everyone else is doing it. So everyone claims they're doing it. So it's, been, it's been a while back that, that he said this. Uh, uh, it's, it's actually four years ago. But I, I remember this quote, and it's actually a very, very pertinent quote still today. Because, yes, you have these companies that are really embracing big data, that are embracing data analytics. But then you have the big chunk that is the rest of the market, which isn't necessarily just 20%, but which is still about 70 80% of the market. Everybody says they're doing it. But if you go into the corporation and look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, then you say, well, A, you could have done this with the technologies you had before. A. B, you more or less implemented new technologies just to do this for nothing as an as a fact. And C, yeah, this isn't really what the whole big data and data analytics idea is about. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple of bits in there, really. I mean, you've got, <clears throat> I mean, there are companies out there doing big data and, and using it to benefit customers and to benefit, they, obviously, the company itself and, and, and maybe society and, and so on. I mean, so uh, yeah, working in the area that I'm working in now, it's very clear that there are companies doing that. You've also got companies, well, yeah, yeah, you've also got companies out there that are p playing around with technology that, you know, and, and you could, you could, you could put that, you could phrase that as being, uh, I suppose doing research R and D and trying out new things and perhaps using using technology in a way that isn't really needed for that way and so on there. Um, and you've got companies there that have no idea. But I, def I, I definitely do think that there is a a difference in 
you look at these data-driven the data-driven kind of high growth SaaS companies you look at companies that are I suppose in a way uh, personalizing on a one-to-one basis everything they do uh, for their customers based on you know knowledge of all their kind of actions and so on and and they are doing well but I guess not not every but not every company is a big data company and not every not every company is a startup um, yes. and, uh, and and so and the other thing that was ironic I think with <clears throat> my move out of Oracle into what I'm, do- I'm doing now is the technology that actually I think a lot of us are still kind of like playing around with in the Oracle world has been has been left behind years ago uh, and it's all now kind of you know cloud-based distributed um, query and, and, and storage platforms it's all it's not about HBase it's not about kind of Hive and that sort of thing and I think that certainly it was surprised me going back to the Oracle event the other week where people were still talking about connecting this to Hive and, and using this with Spark and so on. Yeah. And I think, I mean, don't, it's very easy to get caught up in the technology, um, but it's, I think the ideas are good that are out there. But as you say, you know, not everything is a big data problem and not everyone's doing it and, and so on really. Um, and what about exactly. looking at, yeah, I mean, looking at, looking at, you know, you're used to kind of working with things like semantic models and, and, you know, BI servers and so on. And yet these days, People are using Tableau, and they're using, um, you know, Click, or they're using uh, very kind of simple open source tools. Do you think we've kind of gone back? Is it a bit like the fall of the Roman, Roman Empire? You know, when if you think about the the world of enterprise BI was the kind of Roman Empire, everything was incredibly well put together and organised. And then you have the kind of dark ages of the kind of Germans running across the uh, the kind of the German <laughs> plain, smashing everything up, and, and everyone living in, in in mud huts. Then, I mean, do you think? You know, do you, do you think we've reached that point now, or, or, or you know, what, what's your what's your view on that? Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, let's say enterprise BI and and uh, data models, you know, generic, uh, not generic, but uh, mm. corporate data modeling, governed ones, yeah, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, governed ones has never reached the the, the stage of the um, the stage of the Roman Empire. Uh, it it has never gone there. Let's say. Let's say as an equivalent with the Romans, they would have reached maybe hegemony about um, yeah about 150 BC, and then the Germans came. So they never they never took over the whole Mediterranean. So the whole idea, as I said about about the RPD uh, initially, the whole idea never really uh, took hold in in well never widespread. It was never that widespread. So everybody talked about it, but again, very few people did it. And so uh, they they thought that with the coming along of big data and data analytics and, and all these you know automatic data discovery tools and whatnot, it would be a hail mary. And then you have the other tools like uh, Tableau, which which are more uh, or were more in initially uh, departmental tools. So going in certain departments. Uh, Solving their issues, doing their little thing, and then growing from there to the outside. So, so more or less like a cancer, you know. It starts in some place and then it spreads out. No, 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 no value judgment, judgment there, though. No, 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 no. I mean, again, every tool for for its purpose. You don't have to use uh, an Oracle Analytics to kill every single tool because sometimes it's just too humongous. So no, my my point is, uh, and I mean, if you want to stay in the Oracle space, uh, even even Oracle with data visualization and data visualization desktop has these tools now that solve these little issues at certain things, and you know, everybody does more or less the same uh, in terms of value proposition. But I guess um, people uh, people saw 
or realized, well, there's work involved. We actually have to think about these things and it takes time to think about these things. And then, you know, if you add to this the normal inertia of a big corporation with different departments, you know, the silo organization, uh, you have to wait for the data to be there, then you have to wait for the data to be loaded. And then, oh, it's a DBAs, but they're actually used up in a different project. And so we have to wait another months. And then now, now we have a slot and in three months we have a release window where you can get your uh, results. Thanks, cheers, bye. And people were turning towards more um, quick shot tools like Tableau to say, we need something fast, we need to do something, and uh, you know, corporate information modeling be damned, let's just do it. Well, yes, uh, of course, it does work, but uh, I'm just mentally jumping ahead a little bit in, in the discussion and also referencing something that Carson said in, in, in his episode. This is all fun and games, but especially here in Europe, corporations will have to work with another reality that's coming up, which is GDPR. All these centralized reporting tools, analytics tools, little data silos, uh, data ponds residing in glorified Excel sheets, they will have a huge problem legally uh, next year. Well, actually already now, but next year you can be fined. So... I think nobody actually thought about something like this happening. These, these going back to the desktop, going back to silos uh, of information just because you're quicker trend will definitely have a legal issue. And I think there the whole cloud aspect can, uh, can help corporations unify these two requirements. On the one hand side, speed to market or speed to your own internal clients. And on the other hand, you know, traceability, always know where your data is, always know how it is being used, who does what with it, when, who had access to the information, et cetera, et cetera. Because it kind of merges these two worlds. So the, let's say, corporate um, uh, data modeling world with things like the BI server, they had the whole tracing uh, capability. They, they, they had the ability to track back who does what, when with data, how does it get transformed according to which rules, etc., etc. And then you have the more uh, wild west of desktop tools where you don't have this, but you have a huge speed to market. And so I guess these two will, I mean, they're already merging, luckily, already merging again, and we're coming back to, well, all these concepts, but more again, centralized, but not centralized at the client, but centralized in tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's go on to GDPR a bit later on because I, I think it's something I want to talk to you about and get your take on that. Um, but another, another analogy. So, you know, back in the 60s, back in the 70s, we had this sort of people landing on the moon and we had uh, Concord and... and uh, and and a lot of kind of technology that make you th that would make you think that we would be you know all living on Mars now and with jetpacks and but actually we're not and we're we're stuck in traffic jams and and we're playing kind of Candy Crush Saga on our phones and if you look at uh, if you take the analogy with that in BI you know t 10, 20 years ago we had OLAP tools and you know we would have a, a sales analysis application where you got your responses back in 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 subsecond. And the data was 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 well organized into hierarchies and so on. And actually now we've got kind of like data visualization mashup tools and, and nothing makes any sense at all. Do you think you know, do you think that we have regressed a little bit when it comes to kind of I suppose uh, the way we do analytics on the desktop or, or or is it all kind of good now? In in certain ways, in terms of uh, uh, structure and uh, 
procedures and whatnot, we definitely have gone back. But I think this is, I think we're really still, even though this has been going on since years, I think we're really still in a very much transitional phase. Uh, You mentioned the Dark Ages before, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden came the Renaissance. And I I think we're, we're, we're really kind of like in the renaissance right now people are starting to wake up uh, obviously i mean in the renaissance they tried out many things many things that went horribly wrong i mean da vinci was a genius but a, a lot of his stuff was just yeah that ain't work and i think we're really in in a renaissance in terms of uh, uh, analytics and uh, and data handling we had a very very structured let's say roman empire approach and the, bar- the barbarians came, desktop tools came, and yeah, uh, data modeling is dead, and the semantic model is dead, and uh, who, needs, who needs data structure? Everything is just the same. Yes, well, that didn't really work out. Uh, so uh, I, I, th- I think we still need some time. Uh, we still haven't reached, let's say, critical mass for everybody to follow. Uh, we got a good chunk, yes, of, of people starting to think differently, and especially you know new generations coming into uh, corporations. They think, let's put it like this: they think differently out of the box. We don't have to change their mindset. We can actually work with them right away. We don't have to say, okay, yes, this is how you did it before, but look at these advantages. Look, look at these changes, which we have to do with a lot of established. Uh, departments and, and people working in key positions so this is the good thing it, it change takes time really it takes time. It, it's good that our people are rushing ahead and we, we need these spearheads we need these the, the tip of the spear type of uh, behavior that's penetrating new uh, areas that's going deep into things where, where they say well we tried it it was a great idea it didn't work so you don't have to this experience again it's like you said a a while ago you know six seven years ago people were were trying to oh yeah we have to build our own hadoop cluster we have to build our own hadoop cluster and well who builds their own hadoop cluster nowadays Mm, yeah yeah i do i used to have one happen in my garage a little while ago so uh but it's um so so what what about another 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 kind of big story arc that's been going on in in our world over the last kind of 10 years is the unification of OLAP and relational. <clears throat> so I remember, I had, I had Mike Darren on the show of the week, and, and Mike mm. was was t- with a product called uh, Discover for OLAP, I think it was called years ago, when uh, Oracle tried first to integrate OLAP, um, I suppose technology, multi-dimensional OLAP into relational yeah. tools. You've had the whole, um, dare I say, debacle of, uh, of Oracle doing that with Airspace over the years. And in fact, you borrowed a slide off me at the class conference where yeah. I had a kind of like a potted history of every time Oracle said this version, it will all work. Um, do, do, do you think, I mean, t- t- maybe maybe not necessarily kind of pinning it on Oracle, but other vendors as well. Do you think it's a folly to try and unify OLAP and relational, or do you think there's a point to it? Or And if, if there is a point to it, do you think it'll ever work? You know, what, what's, as someone who's been very much at the front line of that, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? So, I mean, to put it blunt, there, yes, there is a point, and yes, it does work. The question is just how far do you want to push it, and how far does it make sense to push it? I think this is the thing. How, how far do you want to take it? Because we all know uh, multidimensional sources 
just like relational sources, just like key value stores, just like any other storage technology out there, is there for a reason because it fulfills a certain purpose. And for multidimensional sources, this is clearly measure hierarchies, nonlinear aggregations, stored members, etc., etc. So, so these are the key value propositions of a multidimensional storage compared to a relational one. Because in a relational one, I mean, yes, you can do all those things, but the effort is just too high. Also, you can just chuck all the data into, let's say, an unstructured storage, just have it, have it lie somewhere and say, yeah, we'll just build these things dynamically uh, as aggregations in the application layer. Well, in terms of execution uh, and whatnot, you run into the issue, well, it will take a lot of effort, it will take a lot of processing power, and yes, we do have a lot of processing power, but still, in terms of response time, since these things are made to use this just as it is, and are made to store it just as it is, um, you will never get there. You will have a huge amount of effort. Imagine you write something to a cube once during load, and then everything aggregates as it's defined. And on the other hand, you have dynamic access through an analytical tool, and the analytical tool has to do all the logic. Well, it does it every single time the thing runs. So it, it's very suboptimal. So these, these, these cubes, since they're mainly, and I have to stress this point, really, they're mainly, in their usage, they're more like applications rather than analytical platforms. So they're used to, for, for example, do planning and budgeting. They're used to do scenario calculations. They're not there to have 500 different users access them constantly with changing dimensionalities, drilling down to the nitty-gritty detail all the time and then dumping it to Excel or whatnot. I mean, in terms of data pulling from a cube, this is just, yeah, pointless. So the integration works. It does make sense. The question is just what do you want to achieve with it? If I, I'll build management cockpits on top of it that summarize the information, to our management. And on the other hand, we have our hardcore users that are going into these cubes, into the real OLAP world with proper OLAP tools. Yeah, it does make sense. And honestly, so far, uh, if we come back to the to the more modern world with the new tools, you know, the, the whole big data uh, ecosystem out there, there aren't that many tools that are geared towards this simply because the technologies underlying it, like multidimensional cubes, are not really something that is being represented in the big data world because it's old technology. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, cubes, who, who wants the cubes, uh, to do cubes in the cloud, except for the people that have been doing it all the time anyways, like Oracle with their space cloud offering. So it's the same thing. But again, you have these storage technologies. I mean, how often have you heard in the last, let's say, 20 years, how often have you heard the, the, the phrase, the database is dead? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it, I mean, nobody, I suppose, that's the phrase that you know, begs itself to sort of say, well, actually, it's not, but nobody leaves college today to be a DBA. <clears throat> and, you know, looking at the kind of startup world that I'm involved in, nobody, there isn't, there isn't really a role of a DBA, you have kind of infrastructure, you have infrastructure engineers, you have data that's stored in the cloud, and therefore doesn't really need to be kind of like, I suppose, backed up for DR purposes. And databases are, 
I, I, I mean, the, 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 I suppose the background to that statement is that databases are actually more of a kind of bit bucket. You just chuck stuff in there and the logic goes into the application. <clears throat> that is happening now. And, and I suppose the care and maintenance of a database is, is kind of less of, a, less of an issue. But people still need to store data somewhere and have it in a way that's structured and, and, and safe and so on there, really. But <clears throat> I mean, it's certainly less... I think the data, the DBA in an old organisation would have a massive influence and power. And I think DBAs now, certainly they would, they would manage thousands of databases, not just one. Um, and the database is more like an infrastructure component as opposed to a first class, this is a thing that we kind of worship at the temple of really. And, and I think in a way what's interesting is things like the Oracle user group. You, you, still, there is still a kind of a massive, uh, a massive kind of community of DBAs there. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's, it's, it's. Actually, for most of the conferences that that I go to, it's still the biggest part, which is which is, yeah, it's amazing. Is it, not, is it not a bit of an over? Is it not a load of old men talking about technology they used to work with? Though, I mean, is it not something? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, inter interesting topic, and 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 uh, you know, I mean, go go back a little bit to to I suppose uh, re grand unification of OLAP and and so on. There, I mean, that that was an interesting area, and I think that one of the challenges, maybe again for you as a contractor, actually as a contractor, it's probably easier for you, in that you could go, a client could buy, let's take say for example TM one and Cognos, and expect it all to work together. And as a contractor, yeah. you can say it's not going to work, you know. Um, whereas I think as a partner and as a kind of consultancy, that was always an interesting kind of uh, you know area to be in because you you didn't want to be the kind of you, you didn't want to embarrass the customer in front of his bosses, but also you know you, you and and there was obviously money to be made out of com com companies that bought a suboptimal thing and then you had to make it work. But I guess that's a nice well, thing. Yeah. Well, I suppose my argument was always, you know, my argument was always sometimes a thing is bought by somebody above somebody else. <clears throat> and they, this is the technology they have to work with. And so they want to get somebody in who can try and make it work for them. But, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of soulless job in a way sometimes because you are, you know, you're, bat you're batting with, with, with kind of one arm behind your back. Whereas as a contractor, you can be a lot more blunt about that really and, and, and walk away from it potentially as well. Most, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, you, you're basically describing the state of the market uh, in in many corporations. You know, it's being bought by someone who just takes a decision based on some uh, very nice sales slides and whatnot, and and uh, the lucrative uh, contracts you can make in the background. But then, few people actually working with it uh, are stuck with it, as you said. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's move on because I'm conscious of time. So let's um sure. let's talk about um community. So I remember several years ago, um you, you I was running a conference and you couldn't make it because your your girlfriend said you had to be with her. It was her birthday or something. And I said at the time to you, <clears throat> if you didn't come, I would I would send some boys over and we would basically kidnap you and take you back over to Brighton in the back of a car in the boot. So you would so you would appear. Um, and, and, and I suppe I, I did you did appear, appear but only because we threatened you that we would actually kidnap you um, and and I guess the point is that conferences and communities and all these events are they a bit of a jolly where everybody just goes along there and it's like a free holiday or are they something that is important still for the individual developer and for customers and so on so two things a free holiday uh, this is just just to dispel this myth once and for all for everybody listening here, especially everybody listening here that's a client uh, or or uh, somebody sitting in his office and thinking, oh, these guys have such a nice life. This isn't free holidays, especially for people who are dependent on their revenue. This isn't definitely free because you actually lose money going there. 
you're not billable. You're doing a conference beforehand. You're not billable while you're writing all these slides and coming up with all these things. Because let's face it, writing these presentations and, and, and these workshops, this isn't something you do in 20 minutes. This actually, this is a lot of work. So, so, so much for the free part. Now, for the other part, uh, it is, I think, absolutely crucial and essential to the individual developer once and to clients and, and corporations basically in this whole technology area per se. Because, yes, you read a lot of things on the Internet. Yes, you can have 5,000 blog posts per week coming in through your feed uh, that you can peruse and uh, look at YouTube videos on whatnot. But it's actually different to going to a conference, listening to someone like you yourself or, or me or, or, or uh, all the other people who were at UKOG, for example, listen to them talk, have discussions with them, have discussions with other clients, and actually find out, yeah, this is all nice and well what's being said, but because you never in the posts uh, online, you never see, well, in reality, this worked like this for us, or we're using it for for, for that. You, you see, you see marketing slides, you see sales statements, you see wonderful uh, videos about. Oh, it's only three clicks to do it, and uh, it's so simple, and everybody can do it, and um, everything is automated. Well, yeah, obviously they will not show you uh, the the pitfalls. They will not show you the problems. They will not show you the things uh, that are limited, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these conferences, just in terms of exchanging on all of these things in themselves are already worth it. And the other thing is also, I think it really opens the mind to new things. You see different people, you speak to different people, you, you get out of your, your, your world of, this is the way you've been doing it, this is the way we are doing it now, this is the way we will be doing it, and think about, well, we could do it differently. Listen, this technology is in use uh, uh, at another client as well. They're using it differently. They're using it with something else. They're using it for something else. Why not try it ourselves? Or we have this problem. How did you solve it? We're facing the issue of uh, the uh, data protection regulations next year. What, do the what does the general public have to say about this? How do other people see it? And uh, I think last week, the, well, not last week, uh, three weeks ago at, at the OEG, there were several topics about uh, several talks about non-techy top topics like GDPR, more general things, more uh, uh, management things that affect you. And I really think people not participating in the community, they will stay in their own small little world. They will do the things the way they do it, the way they've always done it. They will not rethink what they're doing and how they do it. They will not question themselves or their work. Uh, and this is honestly, this is especially for someone in our business. I mean, look at how many technologies you touched in the last 10 years. I mean, it's an incredible amount. We have to question ourselves all the times. I mean, you said it several times. I mainly work with Oracle and products. Yes, but I touched dozens of products at the side to keep track of what's happening, what could I do, and especially to have this, this openness of, of mind. Hey, could I do this differently? If yes, how, using which tool, and what could I tell to the client? Can I actually tell him in good conscience and actually with a, with a base foundation of knowledge, 
you should do this differently or you should not do this differently because ABC and tell them really these are the reasons why you should or shouldn't. Because if you always stay in one technology, if you always just see one side of the coin, you will always tell the same thing to your client, you will always solve the, the things the same way. Uh, well, and in the long run, this will definitely be detrimental to you as a contractor or if you're at a client, to you as a client, because at some stage the client will move on and you will be moved into a more like a dead-end street because you are one of the developers who always did that and who never was open to doing something else. And I've seen this happening at clients with, with whole teams that were just, I can't put it differently, boneheadedly following their own way. And all of a sudden, new CIO arrived uh, with a lot more uh, openness of mind. They changed uh, the corporate structure. They changed the strategy in terms of data analytics. And boom, you're in a department that's basically slated to die. Mm. Um, so uh, one of the things, I mean, I used to be involved in, in, in a couple of user groups in terms of being on the board and, and, and being, being part of the organization. And one of the things that always struck me was a huge amount of effort of user groups seems to be to justify the fact that there's a user group and to justify the conference end of the year. And, and you know, because people in the old days, people would join up to a user group to get access to beta software or <clears throat> going back to your yep. thing about Siebel, you know, knowledge was not e easily shared. And actually it was a thing that was had value right. and people would join up because of that. I mean, do you think in a way that um, the model of a conference where you pay money, or a, sorry, a, um, a user group where you pay an annual subscription and you go to a conference at the end of the yeah. year and you take a week off for that, do you think that is redundant now? Now we've got things like kind of online forums and virtual communities and things like IRC and so on. Do you think that's, do you think they're redundant now or, or is it a different sort of thing really? Uh, we, 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 we still need them because as you said, there's still there's still the old guard around and uh, they're used to this and, and maybe not very open to other approaches. Uh, but in, in the same breath, I have to say, user groups, the classical user groups need to reinvent themselves. They need to change their approach and not just have, you know, the one big conference or uh, some regional uh, uh, forums, et cetera, et cetera. I, th I think we need um, we need definitely definitely a rethinking of this as well in terms of the user groups, uh, more proactive, uh, more immediate uh, exchange, more uh, more small scale because not everybody can go to something like uh, Kscope or Open World or UK or UG because as I said, you more or less have to take a week off uh, or at least a couple of days and. Um, these um, these user groups they, they will definitely still be around. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen several of them shrinking in the last couple of years in terms of in terms of audience. Others have been growing like crazy. Um, but uh, something uh, I I've seen recently in in, um, in September, which I found a really 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 good idea, was uh, something that happened in in Poland for Polish. Uh, uh, user group uh, in in Krakow. They actually had in in conjunction with the German user group. They had a whole busload of uh, of German young professionals, either just finishing their studies or had just finished their studies, so being at the beginning of their of their work life, carried over to the user group to the conference, 
and be there for two days and let, as a next generation uh, it's event. Punishment. It's punishment. It's punishment. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you weren't there. Believe me, it wasn't punishment. No, and so these, there's a whole busload, I think 30 or 40 or 40 young people who, who saw this whole thing. Uh, uh, and as you said, the young people, they don't come out of university and say, I want to be a DBA or I want to be a database developer. But they will come normally, 90%, they will come into corporations where this stuff exists, where this is the reality of things, where they have to be exposed to it. Mm. Mm. You, can't, you can't just wash away the old and say, well, we started in, uh, from a new slate. Uh, well, it would be nice, but daily business has to go on. So this was a really, really good approach. And I, and I thought this should be more pervasive this should be more common to do and the other thing is i think for most user groups the online presence uh, is woefully lacking and uh, for uh, for many products out there i mean even even for much of the new stuff yes there is stack overflow or whatnot but uh, a bit more focused and, and you mentioned you mentioned uh, uh, irc before and and uh, the oracle developer community forums so Oracle developer community forums, obviously, Oracle curated. It's there. It's their stuff, and so on. It's really good. But you know, it's it's a forum, so it's there. You obviously wait for an answer. Uh, IRC. Some people might still remember this technology, <laughs> Internet Relay Chat. Uh, so I think this is this again. There's a couple of old school technologies, or I mean, you you were using um, uh, what's that thing? The um, Ah, your, your your platform that that is like uh, Telegram uh, and with channels as well. Uh, oh, Slack and things like that. And, and, oh, yeah, uh, Slack. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Slack. I mean, those those tools they I think should be used more by the different communities, not necessarily just user groups, you know, as in organizations, but generally communities uh, for. Uh, well, for support, for problem tracking, for whatnot. We're, we're running an Oracle Analytics uh, channel since years, and I know that a lot of projects have been saved just because we exist. And, uh, oh, yeah, we've been running this issue with Oracle support or on the forums and, and talking to our integrator for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the response was like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's been here's interesting. The, here's, here's the answer. Go and do it. Uh, five minutes later, you're done. Yeah, in, yeah, interesting. I mean, you know, I, I found that 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 IRC chat <coughs> chat channel the other week. And uh, to answer your question, yes, I had downloaded all the data, and down, I've downloaded all the history there. And 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 it's interesting to see analysing that and looking at kind of I suppose keywords and looking at kind of trends and so on. I will share with you at some point. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to sort of see I suppose the mistakes that are made and actually kind of like where people are asking the same question over and over again. And yes, you know, exactly. I, I, I mean, last last one on that topic, actually. You know, so why don't you write any blogs anymore? Um, honestly, uh, and not to insult anybody listening, but I was getting too many dumb questions. So every time I would post something technically, I, I would I would get dozens of emails and and comments on the. I actually turned off commenting on on the blog at some stage. Because, come on. Uh, so yeah, this is this is more or less this is more or less the reason why why I stopped because. Uh, I rather I rather answer very specific questions either in in my chat room or uh, or on the Oracle developer communities 
than just posting stuff out there uh, and then getting questions which basically can be summed up with, I didn't read what you wrote. I didn't think about anything uh, that was written there. Tell me the five steps to get to my target, period. I mean, there, there is, a, I, suppose on, I suppose on the on the internet, there are it was, it was an unlimited supply of people who have not read any of the manuals or documentation. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's a hard one. I mean, I used to be quite a big, um, a, <clears throat> I used to write lots of blogs and, and, and I'm more doing the podcast now to do something different, but certainly answering questions on forums, you know, you do start to, you do start to kind of run out of energy sometimes, don't you? But, but it's an essential thing. And I think, you know, when you go and look at a new technology, you need that help there really. And I think, you know, virtual communities yeah. are sort of good. The conferences are still good. And, and, and I, I had the opinion a while ago that certainly for the big user groups that had lots of these communities of interest and so on, that were quite kind of in a way, ossified and, 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 and sort of like maybe representing areas that were no longer so relevant. My line was, you know, almost like stop stop them all and just kind of like say to anybody in the user group, if they want to start a meetup or, or a group, if they get more than 10 people, they get some funding and let these things kind of in a way re-organically form themselves. <clears throat> but I am very conscious it's easy to break things. It's very easy to break things and destroy yeah. things, but things don't necessarily come back. And, and you know, analogy, I suppose analogy would be, again, back to the Roman Empire, it's very easy to break up the Roman Empire. But, you know, I'd say that running water and uh, and reading didn't come back to, to the world until about 500 years later. And it was like Blackadder until then. So it, it, be careful sometimes what you want to creatively destroy. And I think that's that's an interesting sort of area really um yeah exactly i mean i mean to to, to stay with that i just i just thought of something because then you would have some people in in uh in ropes sitting around a table uh, mm. and basically shouting at each, at each other what did the romans ever do for us <laughs> yes so yes that, yeah i mean these structures were there for a reason Yes, but they also sometimes are holding you back. I mean, that's the thing that is is maybe only very maybe I'm, only. I'm, kind I'm of... not saying I'm not saying uh, the one or the other is 100% what you should do. Uh, it's just I know from my own experience how hard it is to keep a community alive, and uh, especially you know meetups and something. Then you know half of the people don't show up, and then you say, well, it, it wasn't worth it. Should we do it again? It's a so it's it's actually a hard thing because there's always this inertia in people to overcome. You have to propose something so. So they come, and uh, well, yeah, it's exactly. So, so we can take a break now, and we, what we're going to do yep. is we're going to um, we're going to go into the Christmas uh, part of the uh, special episode now. So, um, right. <clears throat> okay, so I'll see you in a second, um, Christian, and we'll, we'll go, go in and uh, do that. So welcome back to uh, Drill's Detail and the special Christmas edition. And what we're going to do now is uh, take a bit of a break from uh, kind of heavyweight discussions about kind of uh, consulting and, and BI and so on. And we're going to actually um, going to spring some things on Christian and uh, get his opinion, first of all, on some five things that were topical in 2017. He's not seen these before, and I'm just going to kind of fire them at him. I want his instant reaction. What is Christian's, um, what is Christian's shoot from the hip reaction to these uh, five statements I'm going to put in front of him, or five things? So first of all, Oracle Analytics Cloud. Oracle Analytics Cloud. Uh, okay, so um, uh, great product, best thing they ever produced, uh, obviously. A uh, bit more snarky comment, uh, same stuff that existed as before, just on the cloud now realistic comment um it is a it is a very interesting product f 
for the future. I think it's still in its infancy. So a lot of people are struggling with uh, what shall we do with this? Uh, is it worth going there? But it has it has a lot of potential uh, simply because of its roots, you know, where it came from. But those are also the things holding it back. But that's a more technical point. It, it's a strength. It's a strength and it's a weakness in the same time. It's very much based on OBIE, and it's very much a local product. And I think you can you can read into that whatever you want. You know, the two ways really. Yep. I think it's exactly. it's you know it's it's a very powerful platform, and you've got in there yeah the metadata layer. You've got all the kind of clever stuff there. But it's incredible to my mind, certainly in this release I was playing around with, it's still surprisingly kind of labor intensive really for, for doing yes. I suppose basic administration yeah. and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of prior knowledge of kind of Oracle technology and Oracle <laughs> stack that I think it assumes exactly. you've got. Um, exactly. to the point where I couldn't work out how to log in actually, first of all. And then I realized it was the old weblogic username and password, admin and welcome one. And it wasn't the one that I signed up with. And it's a lot of stuff in there that you think you think to yourself, how could anybody it's like reading a book where the book that this new book massively kind of draws on the kind of it's about going to see the latest Star Wars film. You know, it might it might be a good film in, in its new release, but it's much, much more makes much more sense and it fits in much more if you've seen the other kind of seven movies in the trilogy in the in the series, maybe. Wonderful analogy. Couldn't have said it better. That's a that's a nice analogy. Okay, so next one, number two. Yes. Oracle Analytics Cloud and Sbase. Um, well, for for that, I have to say we're kind of we're kind of lucky because that version actually existed on premise before. So uh, th- this is the actual newer Oracle Sbase uh, code base, and this was integrated in Oracle BI already. So again, if you if you buy the whole shebang. The, the big one uh, with everything in, then uh, you more or less have the abilities that you have now uh, on premise with the SPS integration, using it as an accelerator, spinning of cubes, etc., etc. Then obviously you have the SPS only version, which is more or less uh, SPS cubes uh, standalone with data visualization on top of it. Uh, and again, choose your poison. What do you want to do with it? Uh, what do you want to use it for? If you just have SBS cubes and you have DV on top of it, yeah, it can make sense. I don't see that much of a use case for it. I, I more see the use case of either the full one, you know, integrated with relational data with other data sources uh, uh, like Hadoop sources, like uh, uh, SAP sources, like whatever. And then the other more, let's say, application products that are out there like PBCS, so the planning and budgeting cloud service, which again is what you have on premise, but as in applications, but in the cloud, pure multidimensional storage technology, yeah, I mean, you can move it to the cloud if you want. But I don't see that much added value over what you have on premise right now. Okay, okay, number three, uh, Brexit. <laughs> Man, well, you stupid. It's it's crazy, isn't it? We've gone from being the most, I suppose, pragmatic and um, sensible uh, nation in Europe to yep. the most unpredictable and uh, the weakest government and the most stupid at the moment. It's, it's, um, it's, I, I, it's I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it, it's amazing. I mean, uh, uh, after, after Brexit, uh, there were some data dumps available to, to analyze the voter data. And, and I think, you know, crunching the numbers there, uh, looking at that the regions that received the most subsidies from the European Union were the ones that most heavily voted for leave. 
it just blows your mind. And if 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 you put if you push it to the extreme and they're really being really really sarcastic, what I am, uh, you could say it just shows why direct democracy does not work. No, <laughs> because I know. Certain, I know. Certain topics just cannot be left in the hand of the average voter. They they are way too complex. It's not about, oh, people are being too stupid and Christian is basically uh, advocating dictatorship. No, it isn't. Those are topics that are so complex and with with, with uh, so far-reaching consequences. You can't ask people to, to, to decide on this. They can't spend months thinking about and weighing alternatives, and especially when you factor in the whole propaganda uh, bit. And yeah, this is... This is uh, honestly, I mean, without being sarcastic or anything, disastrous. Really disastrous. I know, and 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 you know, again, back to the model of of, of how we are in business. Um, it, it was predicated on being able to work in any part of Europe. Yeah, if that's gonna, if that's gonna change, I me, mean, certainly, I'd imagine that from the date we 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 finally sail off into the middle of the Atlantic, you know, you will not be able to work in in the UK doing consulting. I'd imagine, and, and equally, any consulting business in the UK is going to have to set up shop in Europe, or 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 kind of like only be restricted to its own market. Yeah, uh, it, it will. It will so heavily depend on how these these wonderful negotiations turn out. But it will end up being a loss loss situation. It will not be win win. It really will be loss loss. I know. I know. Okay. Number four. Number four. Star yep. Trek: The Last, the Last Jedi. Um, Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, are you into? Are you into? I mean, are you into Star Trek? I mean, it's something that uh, you know, not no. Star Trek, Star Trek, <laughs> Star Wars, right? Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Have you seen that? I haven't seen the Last Jedi yet. Uh, it's definitely on my list because I'm a diehard Imperial. So, yeah, several several of my friends have seen it, and and uh, they said it's really funny. The Imperials have the coolest have the coolest tools and toys. But they always manage to miss their target, which kind of neatly plugs back into our discussion from before. You can have the coolest tools, but you have dumbass managing it. It just won't work. Yes, I mean, I think two points for me on 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 Star Trek: The Last <laughs> Jedi, or even Star Wars: The Next Jedi. One is I can't believe they've got eight films out of this, and and I was reading the block the plot synopsis on yeah. Wikipedia yesterday, and I just thought, really, this is this is getting really. I mean, basically everybody who had a certain position, even I think as a spoiler, you know, I think one of the main I don't know if you're going to see it, but one of the main characters turns out to be a bit nasty, you know, and and it's like Come on, really, I mean, this is really kind nervous. of like you know. Yes, exactly, and and second one is is um, I've got the point now actually, but it, it's uh, I, I don't know. It just strikes me as I, I don't know. I, I, it's for, not for me really. You know, it's well, um, it has, eight films it in has now. Gone it's, from it's, something it, that has developed an almost religious character into something that's just being yes, built for commercial yes. purposes, which kind of is basically like a religion. Started off as a good idea, people well, believed also, in it. Now it's just something yeah. commercial. Well, how comes the, the rebels are the good guys? Because actually, you know, what you've got here is a well-ordered society um, where, where basically there's a bunch of people who start blowing things up all the time and, and, and kind of ruining everything. And, and you know, surely, uh, um, uh, surely America going to the cinema to watch, uh, to watch The Last Jedi, can you not see the irony in, in the kind of people you're celebrating are effectively terrorists? 
and, well, and it strikes me as, I don't know, it, I, it's an interesting, interesting kind of like lack of maybe self-awareness. Yeah, but I don't if know, you talk whatever, about the Americans, know. they're basically celebrating their own, their own history, you know, uprising against the empire. So That's true. for them, you have to say it does make yes. all those sense. It all went wrong for that point almost, didn't it, really? So uh, anyway, um, the last one is, the last one in the yeah. list of five things here is Oracle Autonomous Database Cloud Service. Um, and the uh, and I suppose no more DBAs. I mean, what's what's your view on 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 that? The marketing, I suppose, the marketing and the messaging around the autonomous database service that came out recently. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you you can sum it up with a very sarcastic yeah, right. It it will it will definitely go that way. And as you said, the DBA will more become of a um, you know administrator making sure that thousands of instances run and whatnot instead of going and twiddling with uh, with features of the one or the other. Uh, but that product in itself, it's it's just a first step. It's a baby step. Uh, and uh, it, it's good. It, it's a proof of concept, basically. For me, it's nothing but a proof of concept that they put into a product. Yes, it works. Yes, it can be used. I don't know whether will anybody will buy this except for a couple of clients trying it out anyways uh but yeah it's it's a first step it's i think it's a triumph for marketing really in that, that, in that um, oracle were quite late i suppose to the database yeah. as a service and data warehouse as a service market and and yeah there are companies yeah, like snowflake exactly. out there already You've i didn't want to mention Google, them by Google, name Google, but BigQuery. yeah no, no, and, and so there are companies out there that have been doing this, but Oracle. I mean, Oracle, and this is not this is not a snarky comment. They are very good at marketing, and to take something that is is a complex platform and then use machine learning in the future to make that, that to make that what is now arguably unnecessary complication automatic, um, and then to sell it as being the first of the autonomous databases. I mean, hats off to them really for for taking what is a very kind of. Uh, you know, a, a position where they're several years behind the competition and making out that actually this is kind of groundbreaking. And, you know, that's why that's why Larry's got a, a yacht and you and I are, are, are kind of like, uh, you know, still working, really. And marketing, I think marketing has seen, you know, sometimes I, I call it the colouring in department, you know, when I'm being a bit sort of disparaging, but marketing is, is so important. And it's actually what it's all about is, it's about finding a, a problem. It's about finding a customer with a problem, identifying the problem, solving the problem for the customer, and doing it in such a way that they are motivated to actually spend some money or do something. And you know what? That's what those companies are good at doing, really. You know, it's techs and specs and, and, and all that stuff is one thing, but you've got to solve a problem for somebody. And that's what analytics is about. And it's what all those companies have done. And it's why they're successful. Yeah. So, Christian, you're, you're a big advocate of, of best practices that you find on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And, and as, 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 Robin and I, as Robin and I have, have many times, kind of ribbed you but let's imagine now that you are starting work as the director of best practices at oracle and uh, you have found someone sent you three best practices that you that, that uh, they found on the internet your job is to either say they're good or they are as i put in the, in the notes here uh, low roll bollocks which is an english phrase which means uh yeah anyway so the point is these are three best practices here are these are these actually best practices or are they or are they kind of misconstrued and your job is to kind of to tell us which one is correct and to give us maybe your view on it. So the first one is um, a document I found uh, on the internet, which was an Oracle uh, Oracle best practices document from a few years ago, which was top tuning recommendations for OBIE. <clears throat> and it had in there, um, it had a series of seven recommendations. These are the seven things you should do in order to tune your OBIE system. And the first one was tune the operating system. Second one was tune Oracle WebLogic server parameters. Then it was tune the Java virtual machine, tune HTTP servers, and tune the database. Uh, is that correct or is that mistaken? 
each point in itself, if you have an issue in that specific area, is valid. As a total, if you just say, you have performance problems, take this document, go through step one through 10, uh, and you will have solved your performance issues, this is totally wrong. This is this is a 1,000% misconception, but again, comes down to people just taking things literally and as they read it, not thinking, uh, I'm just going to go and tweak something on the HTTP server. I'm, I'm going to uh, fiddle around with my Apache, or I'm going to just up some memory settings in the Java virtual machine. Most likely, you will fiddle with something that you do not need to fiddle with. Uh, you may end up actually making things worse for you because you don't know what you're doing, why you're doing. And in the end, yeah, you'll probably do this, put a lot of effort into it, put a lot of time into it, and then manage will, will come and say, well, we didn't actually get any benefit out of it. What the hell? Why did you do this? Uh, this was a load of rubbish that you did. This document is rubbish. Let's switch to a different technology. So best practices, and especially when it comes to performance, and this is not just Oracle, this is with any technology. When it comes to performance, this is the point where you have to think, where you have to analyze what happens, where, when, why, where is the time spent, where is the CPU spent, where is the RAM spent, and just going through a document and ticking off boxes is pointless. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we have this insane debate my old company about about best practices and people people like best practices you know they always do to joke that the uh the best way to get a conference presentation accepted anywhere was to put in best practices for whatever product well, it was why do you why about. do you think i'm running because a work people, practice series on so many different topics <laughs> yes people people love best practices and they also love best practices being debunked as well um but they i suppose people want guidelines and they want maybe what are good practices with context and, and, yes, and so on. I mean, there was a, there was a remember, practices. Yes. Yes, I know, exactly. And to that point, you know, when uh, Robin joined yeah. my company a while ago, we, we again, jokingly, I jokingly said to him he would be our director of best practices to just to wind him up. And um, But I said to him, look, actually, look, there's a reason behind the reason. People ask for these things not because they want necessarily to follow something blindly, but they want what are our recommendations around certain areas. And I actually got him to, to write a paper at that point, which was what we called the good practices for, yeah. for Oracle BI at the time. And... They're, they're, to try and address that, and there was a best practice in a, there was a good practice in there that uh, is, is the second one I'm going to write, I'm going to read out now and get you okay. to comment on this. Okay, so um, aliases can be a useful way of managing the name and organisation of physical tables. Blah blah blah. Here, adopt a consistent naming convention for aliases. Typically, the convention is to and it goes on there and talks about prefixing with dim and fact and whatever. So, question to you: Are aliases mandatory and best practice or good practice in uh, OBI? They can be. Alias aliases is basically you have a physical object like a database table, uh, and you instantiate it twice under a different name to use it. For example, once as a I don't know customer address dimension, once as a uh, corporate address dimension, once as a address dimension tied to a um, to a purchase order, et cetera, et cetera. So it's basically reusing existing things, making nice little, as I always say, Lego bricks out of it uh, and, and plugging them together. And it is good to make things readable, yes. 
It is good if you want to have role-playing dimensions, if you want to have role-playing facts so that you don't have to uh, duplicate things in your, in your database layer, etc., etc. That said, it is not an absolute yes or no. It depends on what you want to do with it. If you have data models that are built for analytical access, that are perfectly built data marts. Let's say you're in you're in a situation where you have a, a department that prepares the data marts and they're really into dimensional modeling and they have perfectly uh, uh, defined and named facts, dimensions, whatever. Adding aliases on top of that is redundant because it's already done. On the other hand, let's take the other extreme. Let's take let's take the, the case where we're more doing uh, let's say rapid prototyping or really getting stuff out to the client as quickly as possible and you just have flat tables or something in Hadoop uh, that has no structure that just has 500 different attributes some of them are facts some of them are dimensions and you want to make sense of this so people can analyze the data well then obviously you will not just dump out 500 attributes to the front end and say well have fun and do something uh, we still want to guide them. Not everybody is uh, a data scientist. Not everybody is an analytical consultant and knows how to work with data out of the box. So you need to structure things. So you would just take this flat table with these 500 attributes, alias it several times, and say, well, you remember entity relationship diagrams, you know, back in the 80s? Entities actually have a point. Something is the customer. Something is the customer case or his, pur or his purchase order or his uh, insurance claim. Something is the account. Something is the product. Something is time. Something is the fact data that we're actually counting. So you split up these entities into alias and then you start modeling on top of it. So it does make sense to use them in these uh, cases. It does not make sense at all if you have a perfect data model underneath that's used for that and only that purpose. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think it's a couple of things that come out of that. One is, um, obviously, there's the, 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 the sort of slightly jokey thing about just following a rule that says you should always use aliases, um, you know, and the same thing about you should always um, turn off your log your logging if uh, performance is, is bad. There are things where someone has written it one time, it might, it, might, it might possibly have applied in a certain circumstance, it might not even have been that, um, but it's following it slavishly. But I think the, the wider point is about things like kind of, I suppose, um, coding standards, it's about organising your thoughts, it's about kind of, if you're going to build a data model for OBIE or other kind of other BI tool, make sure it's clear in your own mind about the role it's yes. playing and the various entities yes. in there and so on. You know, in, in a way, that's what that is what you know. We used to, I used to always advocate um, using aliases because it made people think about the role of the tables and so on. But but just copying something is is, is you know is, is true is for crazy, that really. getting people to think about it. Definitely, and and that's the reason why why I always say to people, listen, if you have a problem comprehending what that thing does or how it's built. There's nothing better than taking a sheet of paper and a pen and drawing it and putting names on it. And then you can you know, institutionalize it with aliases, for example, and, and, and then your business model. But just go back and think about it. Draw a picture. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Draw a picture. Because it's, it's different than clicking around in a tool. A piece of paper and a pen gives you 50 times as much comprehension as saying, oh yeah, I'm going to draw some joints here and going to write some code there. Okay. 
Okay, and the third one, the third best practice, is it's more like a design guideline. Or imagine a certain gentleman who lives in America who uh, argues with people on the internet. Um, he, he he would say every BI project should be an agile project. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know who you mean. Uh, <laughs> well, um, let's say definitely the the old school way of doing things like, you know, waterfall style. We do a project for three months and then we give you something and you give us feedback on it. Yeah, that that just that just doesn't work. That just doesn't work. Uh, projects have to be. I don't. I don't say they have to be agile. You know, in in the sense of the term, and you have the agile methodology. But anything that goes into rapid prototyping, rapid development, and basically getting results to the people as fast as possible, and then discussing based on these results with them. Is is the way to go. Let's put it like this. I, I've seen I've seen a drawing uh, a couple of years back. Yeah, we're going to develop a car, and the old school, let's say, waterfall approach is phase one, we have the chassis. Phase two, we put the motor in it. Phase three, uh, we put some bodywork to it, and phase four, we attach wheels, and in phase phase five, you can drive it. That's waterfall. Uh, a more agile approach is phase one, you have a skateboard. Phase two, you have a kick roller. Phase three, you have a bike, etc., etc. So everything is usable. Uh, not like the first uh, version where, well, you have to wait until the end to make it usable. So get things to your people as fast as possible. Talk with them. Talk about the data they're seeing. Talk about how they're using it. If you can do this in, in, in a couple of minutes or in a couple of hours instead of taking months and huge requirement documents, you will have different discussions with them. You will actually have proactive and, and productive discussions rather than saying, you didn't do what I specified. And, and uh, then the reply being, well, you didn't tell me to specify this exactly. That just isn't, isn't leading you anywhere because then they will just say, you know what, give me the data dump and I'll do it in Excel period and you've lost them i always think you know with, with agile projects it's interesting you've got to, i think you've got to, one thing i've noticed is that you can say agile and you can be agile yes. and 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 there's a, there's a there is there is an agile methodology which or method that people don't tend to follow and it tends i always tend to find with agile projects that it's a bit like communism you know in, in that whenever right. an agile project fails it's because you weren't using well when, when you look at any, any country that kind of failed on you know, russia or, or or anything at all where 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 they were a communist country and the economy fell apart the argument was always they weren't communist enough they weren't pure communists, that sort of thing. And obviously, agile is a bit like that. In that, um, in that, you know, when a project fails, it's an agile project. The argument is it wasn't agile enough. And the problem is with communism, you know, it was, it was like that, and then everyone died at the end. And I kind of think it's, you know, with agile projects again as well. I mean, I, t I suppose the, the point with it is, is that actually it might work if you all do agile perfectly, in the same way that a communist society works. If you all work if you're all true communists but people exactly. aren't and people kind of they say they say they'll be agile but they actually that's, still yeah, want to have a fix set of requirements at the end or they or or they want you to in the same way that communist communist societies kind of failed because people were lazy people were kind of greedy mm. people were whatever um you know with an agile project it's all well and good um and it, but people tend to kind of like fall back on the old ways of doing things so either you basically completely re-educate society to be agile or it's just going to be it's just going to be doing a normal project but you do it without any testing or, or on half the budget really 
So last, last thing for you, because I'm going quite well now, which is great, um, is is um, predictions for the future. So predictions for 20, 2018. Okay, so I'm going to ask you three things. So what do you think um, is 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 kind of uh, what 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 what, people, what are people talking about? about what happened next year but actually very unlikely to happen and then I want to get your take on what is most likely to happen and then maybe a sort of funny one at the end you know what is going to happen but it's a real disappointment really you know so first of all what do you think is everyone's prediction for next year that they say is going to happen but actually in your experience won't oh that one is definitely uh this whole thing I mean it's it's a it's been around since a while but it's it's still it's still being flown but uh everyone is being empowered to be a data scientist you had a presentation on that once and and, and you called it the um the citizen data scientist yeah exactly uh i more or less say well it's actually the peasant data scientist because this will not happen not everybody is a data scientist not everybody is cut out to be a data scientist not everybody should be a data scientist i always say you have for example people uh, very uh clever in statistics yeah okay that's a statistician that's not necessarily a data scientist because a data scientist also has to be uh, aware of how to work with data and not just saying i'll run my algorithm so uh, i think this is one of the big misconceptions and everybody's putting that on their cv obviously i mean how many cvs do you see uh, floating across your desk that says data scientist and then you look Oh, it's data engineering. Oh, yeah, data yeah, engineering. Data, okay. data engineering oh, is data the new data scientist. Anyway, yes. Both. And, and then you yes. see, well, either he's doing uh, statistics or he's a DBA or he's an ETL guy mm. or whatever. And you're like, yeah, okay. Well, you're one of those. It's Okay. Okay. So what do you think what do you think is what if you had one prediction for 2018 that you think will happen and, and you know what, what is your what is your what is your prediction that will be in the news or be topical for, sort of for next year really? Oh, general very very definitely GDPR. And this will Right. And in in Britain in Britain with Brexit we've completely missed that but what what is GDPR and why is it something to be very um, aware of really yes so so just very quickly because people people who are interested in this can can also listen to your your podcast that you had with carson because he, he actually went into a lot of detail so gdpr are the uh, data protection regulations of the european union which actually and this is something uh, people miss that they are actually in effect already it's just that as of may next year you can be well dragged in front of a court and uh, punished for violating these guidelines um, and generally you have to be able to prove where is your data stored what's being done with your data who is using it who did it when you have to be able to get rid of the data so the right to be forgotten is built in for example uh, and uh, if you use the data in and this is where, where the killer actually comes in for analytics uh, is the right for the client that he can tell him, okay, your data was used analytically, for example, in some algorithm, in some analysis, in some uh, uh, calculation. What was the rules? Uh, what were the rules lying behind it? What was the algorithm? How did you get to these results? If you have a credit scoring of 42, why is it 42 and not 27? You have to be able to prove this. And this actually... If you take all this together, this is actually what people 
should be concerned about with all their uh, decentralized data silos lying around, somebody doing R somewhere, another, body, another one doing Tableau, then having some Excel data pumps and uh, Excel sheets flying around. You lose control of the data. If you, be, if you cannot trace and, and be able to tell the customer, okay, this is where the data export happened, and then we put it into, I don't know, SAS or Excel or uh, somebody ran uh, an R algorithm on, on top of it. Yeah, but what did they do? What rules did they use? What uh, procedures did they use? And how did you get to this information? You will basically, by default, lose the lawsuit. Because you've lost the control, you've lost the traceability, you cannot tell him why did you get to this result. So I think this is... we. I said we had this this uh, um, move away from centralized governed IT because you know speed to market wasn't fast enough and more towards departmental stuff to again you know back from the web front and down to the desktop. Uh, this will actually be a quite tricky point for uh, corporations next year when people start realizing, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure that there are, there are several lawyers' offices uh, already in the starting blocks uh, with, with predefined lawsuits and saying, oh yeah, if you have something, you know, like, like it happens in, in America, oh, if you have case ABC, uh, just come to us, we got, we got it uh, covered already, we'll take a part of the, uh, of the money that we win, and then we'll do it. For, and I'm pretty sure this will, this will happen as well, because uh, I guess the lawyers who will be attacking the corporations are lot more ready than the corporations who should be actually getting ready mm. and the other point that that Carsten made last week was what about companies that use things like neural networks and these very these kind yes, of I suppose, self-learning I mean, uh you know machine learning kind of things where, where you can't exactly. even explain i mean m- m- going back to the days of remember trying to explain remember someone tried to get you to document how an rpd worked years ago and and because it wasn't a simple data model it was quite hard to do that because you had all these different i suppose multi-dimensional mm. parts to it and so on and and yeah, and that that was it was hard to explain that. Imagine trying to explain how a neural networks when yeah. actually in, in some respects actually it isn't even understandable because it's been actually organically developed by the machine learning algorithm. How are you gonna how's but, that gonna be? But, but that's the thing, but that's the thing. I've stuck more with the analytics world because this, this is what we've been talking about, uh, and this is what, what most people are are uh, are interested in uh, right now as the burning topic that's like on their hands at the moment. Uh, if, if you, we haven't even talked about AI, as you said, but this, I mean, obviously uh, the law hasn't foreseen this. Uh, it, it has to be said as it is. The law hasn't foreseen this, that there is no real, uh, uh, well, flexibility in, in that regard. It ha- A, the law has to change and quite, and quite quickly. They will have to adapt some things there. And B, um, if you're if you're very very much at the forefront of this, uh, and someone basically wants to attack you on that, you're you're vulnerable. I don't know how, how they will manage it. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's five there's five no six months there's six months left now. Uh, so it, it's it's going to be interesting how this all turns out. Uh, but it will definitely burn some people uh, which just aren't pre- prepared or taking it uh, well too lightly. Yeah, okay. And the last thing here is your prediction for the thing that we don't want to happen, but unfortunately probably will. Um, everybody will still keep talking about buzzwords instead of doing it. So uh, you, you, will, you will still have a lot of uh, people 
saying all the right things, but in fact doing well, not all the wrong things, but just not. You know, mm. Just like agile. Oh, we're doing yeah, agile I mean, I think, waterfall. What? Yeah. What do you mean agile waterfall? That's a contradiction yes. in terms. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess there's always something, you know, putting more human instinct, there's always something that's more interesting from a technology perspective to look at. <clears throat> and I think there's always there's always value in, in trying new things out and, and experimenting and so on. But I, you know, one thing I've learned from the work I've been doing the last year is, is trying to understand the core purpose of analytics. What is it there for? What does it do? And effectively, you've got a problem to be solved and it helps you solve that problem in a more effective or more informed or more a more kind of uh, rewarding yeah. kind of way. And and so it's understanding that all these things there are there to solve a problem. They're not there in themselves as a, as a kind of, the technology isn't the purpose of it really. <clears throat> and that's why sometimes Excel can be the right thing. It's sometimes in process done to be the right things, but it's about understanding the problem you're going to be solving and it's about culture as well. And and I think that, you know, that's a kind of nice way I think of, of, of ending the conversation really. I think that we've, <clears throat> I think the message I've got from you really in this in this kind of conversation is is that all these things are there, but it's about understanding the problem, understanding the customer um, and doing the right thing by them and trying to understand what they're trying to do Precisely. and what they're trying to solve and then solving that really. And that has been, that's probably why you've been a survivor for the last 15 years. Yeah, somebody has to do it right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Christian, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant to speak to you. And um, and have a, have a good Christmas. And hopefully you won't have to sit through that awful um, awful British programme about the, the, the dinner thing with the... Oh, the, dinner, dinner for Christmas what? in Germany, isn't it? That, it? that in Britain, nobody has any idea why you watch that. It's awful, but it's a massive institution in it Germany, is, isn't it? It is. It's like, it's like uh, the, the counterpart for uh, everybody in, in the Anglo-Saxon culture is all about um, the sound of music. And to, to us, it's basically an insult. So this is our way of getting back at you. Exactly. Well, Christian, great to speak to you and uh, take care. And Thank see you much. Thanks for having me. And happy Christmas, everybody.